Let's, uh, let's pray, church. God, thank you for this moment. Uh, thank you for what happened here last week, uh, the words that you gave us and um, what you're speaking into the life of each and every one of us in this church, God. Uh, I pray that would continue this week, that we would open up Paul's words in Corinthians and that we'd be able to look at Scripture and see just who it is that you've called us to be, who who you've identified us as and what that means in our lives. God, help our ears and our eyes to see and hear what you want us to see and hear, to understand what it is you want us to understand in this moment. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So first of all, uh, if, you, uh, if you've seen my Bible anywhere out there, just let me know, all right? I misplaced it. I had to steal my wife, so I don't know what I did with it. I'm like, you know, running around talking to people, you know, all kinds of stuff, and I just, you know, misplaced it somewhere. So thanks, Steph. Appreciate this. Um, so last week after the message, I, uh, Steph and I will sit down after uh, the kids go to bed, and uh, and sometimes we'll just have our own little recap. And um, and she brought up a couple questions, and I, I thought this was good because I, I bet if she's asking them, I bet there's other people in the church asking them. Uh, in fact, I myself have asked this before. And so we were in this passage in Corinthians last week, uh, Corinthians six verse one there. And uh, if you're looking with me, uh, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And so this idea of judgment came up. And if you've been in the church for very long, or maybe even if you haven't, you've probably heard this phrase, who, who are you to judge? Who are we to judge? We don't have any right to judge. And a lot of that comes from uh, Matthew 7 here, uh, verse 1 through 5. Uh, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Right away, we're like, yeah, that's a good rule. You, you know, I mean, I, I don't want my life judged, okay? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, these are the words of Jesus. And, and so a lot of us, we look at that. In fact, he, he keeps going here. Verse 3, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so a lot of us, we've taken those words. We've heard them over the years, and we've kind of just taken that as, I'm not even going to mess with anything that looks close to judgment because I, I, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to cross that line. And so we try to run as far as we can from it. But the more you look at the truth of God's word, th there are times and places where judgment is necessary. In the church, it's necessary. John 8. 1 through 11, this was the other story that, that came to Steph's mind and she brought up, um, and she's helping me preach today. She got my whole intro prepared for me, and she brought up this story. What, what about when uh, Jesus uh, is there and he's teaching, and, and uh, there's a crowd that gathers, and the, the religious law, the Pharisees, they come and they bring this adulterous woman before all these people. And they say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? It's a trap. They want to trap him right here. 
They want him to slip up amongst the crowd so they can finally catch him. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. A lot of theories on what he wrote in that moment. Some people think one of the, one of the theories I like is that he started writing some of the different laws or sins that these Pharisees had committed in their own lives that they had broken. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I, I had never had a good answer for judgment and how to handle it as believers until Steph, or, Steph and I are having this conversation last week and all of a sudden it, it hits me. Like, like sometimes God, the Holy Spirit, he, he's just gonna reveal things to you that you've heard maybe a, a thousand times in church and all of a sudden he's gonna open up or unlock something in your mind and you're gonna see it in a new way. You're gonna understand it in a new way. He did that for me last week, sitting there on the couch uh, and having this conversation. And he finally, it, it just, he, he, he made it click for me. He's like, son, you didn't get this. Let me show it to you. There is a judgment that seeks to condemn and there's a judgment that seeks to restore. Amen, here we go. Come on, let's start early. There's a judgment that seeks to condemn and there is a judgment that seeks to restore. Okay, there we go. We're waking up now. Here we go. That is what Paul is talking about. There's two different kinds of judgments. That's what we see here, okay? The, that, that, uh, the, the parable, the imagery of the guy saying, oh, man, you got a little speck in your eye, and he's got the plank in his own. He's looking to condemn because it makes him feel better about what he's got going on in his own life to call out what she's got going on in her life or they got going on in their life over there. It feels good to condemn it feels good to look and point out the problems and the issues that others have rather than deal with what's going on in our own soul. That is the kind of judgment we are to run from. But the kind of judgment that restores and builds up, and that, that kind of judgment, it's iron sharpening iron. It's refining. It's making us better. In fact, here we go. Uh, we're going to jump ahead. Paul's got another letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10. Go ahead with me here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 8. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This is the kind of judgment, the refining that's to take place within the church. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Once again, at the end of time, we will judge the world. That's what he was saying in 1 Corinthians. 
at the end of time, we have been adopted into the family. You are now sons of God. And that is an all-inclusive term. Once again, if you weren't with us last week, that is for male and female. You have been adopted in. You are sons. You share in the inheritance. Yeah, amen. Here we go. Yeah. Look at the obvious facts. Uh, those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord. Some of you guys, you might have thought that last week about me. Man, Al sounds kind of boastful out here. This is the authority given to us by the Lord. It is from Him. But our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. The authority within the church It is meant to build up the church, not to tear us down. Sometimes it feels like tearing down because that's what it feels like when you start to attack the strongholds in your life. This is what the enemy does. He creates these these strongholds, these little... Let me show you here. Paul says it here, Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 25. My guys in back are like, wow, he's jumping all over today. Sorry, they just he hit me with it right here. We got to talk about this. Ephesians 4, verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are, we are all parts of the same body, the church. We are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. You've probably heard that verse before. You've probably heard this mention of foothold. Let me tell you a little bit about that word. In the Greek, it was topos or topos, however you want to say it there. Uh, it, it, it was a place. It was used to define like a, a place, an inhabited place, a city, a village, a district an inhabited place. Your anger, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, it gives the devil a foothold. It gives him a place in your life. And if you give him a place, he'll build a stronghold. If you give, right, go ahead. If you're writing that down, write that down right now, okay? If you're taking notes, write that down. If you give the enemy a place, he will build a stronghold. That is why Paul is saying we take the truth of God's word and we tear down every stronghold the enemy is trying to build in our lives. Here's something we don't realize. In the church, we think, this is my thinking, growing up, I, I believe, man, I when I, I gave my life to Christ, I, I knew, like, man, I'm saved. This is great. I'm good. Uh, you know, pfft, I'm going to put it on cruise control till the day I die. And, and when we start talking about demons and how they work, we think, well, that's just for unbelievers. I, I, I'm in Christ. I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. That's a misconception. You can be saved but the enemy can still get places and build strongholds in your life. There's a refining process that we have to go through as believers. It's called sanctification. And a part of this is we start to go after the places the enemy tries to take 
within us. He tries to take territory within us and build strongholds. Being in community, being in the church, being in God's word together is meant to be refining. And there is a judgment that is meant to restore us to live life and live life to the full. And so you don't have to settle with living with him, having a piece of you, having a place within you. You can begin to attack the strongholds he has taken in your life. You, be, you can begin to go after them, and you can begin to tear them down brick by brick. So, yeah, okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah, it's fun, right? Like, you have to attack this. You cannot just be passive in a war. This is a spiritual war. You cannot just be passive and sit by and be like, man, I made a one-time decision when I was 13 or 20 or whenever it was, and now I'm good, I'm on cruise control. No, it is a spiritual war, and we cannot fight this war passively. We have to step into the battle to disarm the hold that the enemy has within us and tear it down brick by brick. Keep going here through Ephesians. For anger gives a foothold to the devil, a place to the devil. You're a believer. He, he can get a place within you through anger. That's one of his easiest footholds to build. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. This is a lesson for you. Wherever you struggle in your life, you can't just say, I'm going to stop. You have to replace it with something. If you don't replace it with something, he will continue to attack you with new methods. He'll continue to come after you the same old ways he always has. You must replace it. And so if it's lust you struggle with, figure out, okay, where is it that I struggle with lust the most in my life? Typically, what's he want to do? He wants to get you alone. He wants to get you isolated. So take those times of isolation. And unless you are being proactive and saying, this is a time of solitude and not isolation, I'm going to spend it with the Lord. I'm going to spend it in the word. I'm going to spend it in prayer. That is what you want. You want solitude. You don't want isolation. You don't want to be left alone. So start to fill those times and those spaces with community. Start to fill those times with something where you can be busy and active and serving the kingdom. Do something. You can't just get rid of it. You need to replace it. Amen. Amen. I like, I don't know who's sitting back there, but I like you. You're, you're helping me preach today. Here we go. Come on, church. Follow her lead, all right? If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. The church in Corinth, remember what, they, remember what one of their issues was? They kept abusing their freedom and their grace and saying, well, we're saved by grace. We're, we can do all these things. We're fine. We're free. We're more spiritually mature. And so these things don't have an effect on us. All of these things are doorways for the demons. They are doorways for the demons to come in and make a place here, to make a home here within you. Everything he's starting to list out, he's saying you need to shut the door. And so, yeah, yeah, you, you can be saved. You're right. We are saved by grace. Yes, you can be saved. But if you don't shut the doors to the demons, you can be saved but also demonized the rest of your life. You have to learn to shut the doors. 
Figure it out. What is he speaking to you? What are the doors you've left open in your life that he's saying today, it's time to shut this door? Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Some of you, you've been gossiping, you've been negative, you've been, you've been sitting on your couch and when something comes up on Facebook about Brenda and you can't stand Brenda, you just kind of lean over and look, you know, to your spouse or your friends or whoever, you're like, Brenda's at it again, right? She's crazy, all right? All right, we've been doing this. Is this, is this uplifting? Is this positive or is this toxic and a door for the demons? It's a door for the demons. That was a rhetorical question, all right? It was. It's a door for the demons. Okay, guess what? You need to replace something right there. If social media is the doorway that they're getting in, close the door, all right? Close it. I, I got friends who have done this in their life. They've gotten rid of all social media. They're living happier and healthier than they've ever lived before. And they're living free, all right? We just settle for living with the chains binding us. And he's saying, you literally have the choice. Like when he says to gouge out your right eye if it causes you to sin, he's made it easy. You don't have to gouge out your eye, literally. You can delete the apps, all right? You can delete the apps. That's gouging out your eye in today's world. You tell some people this and they're like, no, 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 no. I'd rather gouge out my eye than give up Instagram, all right? Gouge it out. It's a doorway. Don't let them in anymore. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Parents, man, what, what are the words you're speaking over your kids? Oof, I've let some harsh words go. Every time that Steph and I, we, uh, we've done this, and we've, oof, we've lost it. You know, there's these moments of frustration, and you just lose it. It's okay, parents, if you've lost it. It's okay if you've spoken these words. But repent to your children. They need to see that in their lives. They need to see it from you. When they see it from you, they'll start to change the way they view the Father. It'll change the way they view the Father. I'm lucky. I have a dad that was that we were really close, and we have a great relationship. And I, I think that helped me in growing in my intimacy with the Father. There's a lot of people out there that, that they got wounds from their father that still haven't healed, and it set them back in their relationship with the good Father. And he wants to heal those wounds. And, and so right now, start right now, parents, and humble yourselves. And when you mess up, when you lose it with your kids, when you speak those harsh words, when you speak death over your kids, that's what it is. The power of life and death is in the tongue. When you speak death over your kids, go to them and repent, pray together. Man, depending on how young they are, they might be like, oh, wow, okay. You know, it's like, oh, whatever. You know, they might not get it right now, but they're gonna see that pattern throughout their parents' lives. And they're going to know who the good father is. They're going to know what it looks like to turn back to him and know that no matter how many times we fail, no matter how many times we fall, we have been adopted. And it doesn't matter what we do. He will not stop loving us and pursuing us. Come on. Yeah, come on. 
He's good. He's good. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. There you go. Social media. Gouge it out this week. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Don't give him a place anymore. Tear every place down. Tear every stronghold down brick by brick. And it's going to feel like a brick by brick brick process. It's going to feel slow at times. In fact, there's going to be moments you think, man, I've, I've healed, I've forgiven. And then someday you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, oh, no, 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 I, I haven't forgiven. He still has a place in my heart because you see that person on social media or you see that person out at high V and you're like, I hope they trip and fall right on their face right now. Ooh, you know, and you're like, whoa, I, I still got some healing to do. All right, there's stuff, there's stuff from years back that you probably thought you had healed from and you'd moved on from and you'd forgiven them for. And then one day it clicks. No, 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 you haven't really forgiven them. Because what, what's happened is you've just become loveless toward them. You, you said, I'm going to ignore them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to think about them because I've forgiven them and I'm, I'm just moving on. That's not the kind of forgiveness Jesus talks about. I, I got hit with this recently. I, I thought I had moved on. I thought I had forgiven. Uh, and a few months back, it, it hit me. And, and the father, he, he told me through multiple channels and multiple people in multiple ways. He, he said, lovelessness isn't forgiveness. It's still hate. You, you can think, oh, I'm just going to ignore them. Can you imagine if you did that with your kid? If you just ignored them, would they believe that you love them? No. They would think, wow, my dad doesn't talk to me. He wants nothing to do with me. He doesn't look at me. He just ignores me. Your kids would think you hate them. It's the same with those people in our lives that have hurt us. It's the same with those people that he's saying you need to forgive them. Lovelessness is not forgiveness. Here's what he wants to do. This is hard. This is tough. He he wants to move you from lovelessness to true love, to real love. And that means it's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love doesn't, you know, feelings fade, right? Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Jesus didn't feel good when he was going to the cross. In fact, he went to the Father and said, if there's another way, please give me another way. He didn't feel good about this, but he chose to do it. He chose to do it. That is love. Love is a choice. And so you may not feel good or great about this person, but you have a choice right now that you can make. You can choose to start praying blessings over that person. You can choose to start praying for that person that hurt you. Start praying the things that you want for your own life. Start praying the things that you want for your kids' lives. Start praying the prayers that you pray over your family's life over that person in their family's life. And it's gonna feel awkward at first. It's gonna feel really weird. You're gonna be like, uh, I guess I, I guess I want them to, you know, have a good life. And you know, it's gonna feel unnatural. But the more you start to do it, the more he starts to change your heart. I know, I've I've just been through it these past few months. All of a sudden I I realize, wow, I really did not forgive that person. I was really still angry. And for the first time, I'm like, 
I can see it, God. I, I, I can see it. I'm starting to love them again. That's what he wants to do. Don't give the enemy a place. That bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness, it gives him a place and he will build a stronghold. Don't let him have a home here. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a quote from this guy uh, named Rob Reimer. And uh, I've been reading some of this stuff lately, and it, it just it keeps popping out to me. Everything he says, uh, man, there, there's so much truth here. But our spiritual authority, it's rooted in identity. It's expanded in intimacy. Our spiritual authority is rooted in identity. It is expanded in intimacy, and it is activated by faith. Faith is not passive. You must activate it. You have a choice today to activate your faith. Choose to activate it. Worship team, church, let's stand up together here. Worship team, come on up here. Let's get ready to close us out. I read you this passage last week. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. You need to understand who we are. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He tells you your identity. You are a son. And then he tells you your intimacy. He's your father. That is the relationship. So no matter what the wounds are that you've experienced in this world, and in fact, some of you right now, you're in here and you have wounds from your father. There's stuff there that you haven't forgiven him for, that you haven't let go of, and you're still angry, and you're still broken, and you still don't know how to move forward right now at this point in your life. Activate your faith. Start praying for him in a way you've never prayed for him before. Start praying for him the things that you pray over your own life and your family's life. Start praying for him the way you pray over those that you love. Second Corinthians 10. Let's, let's close out back here where we began. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. That includes ourselves. Don't forget the sawdust and the plank. You have to look inward before you can help outward. That's an amen. Come on. 
You have to look inward before you can help outward. There we go. We destroy every proud obstacle. Kill pride. Let it die on the altar today. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Activate your faith today. What's the opposite of faith? What's the opposite of faith? Go ahead, somebody answer it for me. What do you think? Fear, doubt. Let me tell you, when you look at the Bible, what, what is the opposite of faith? It's disobedience. The opposite of faith is disobedience. What does he want you to do today? To trust him, to trust his word, to trust and obey. That means right now the Holy Spirit is laying something on you and he's saying, hey, this is gonna be hard, but you need to have this conversation. Hey, this is gonna be hard, but you need to ask for forgiveness. Or hey, this is gonna be difficult, but you need to forgive the one that wounded you. Disobedience is faithlessness. Step in to obeying his voice today. Tear every stronghold down. 